Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, can we honor our band for leading us again in worship? Man. So some of you know, we were away for a couple of weeks, and uh, I tell you, I always miss it when I'm away, and even though, you know, and no offense to anybody streaming, again, most of our church is online, I got to be here, and I just feel it, and so to be in the room, you know, when we're singing like that is just so powerful, it's like kind of water to a thirsty man, right? Amen for that. So I'm glad to be back with you. We were away. I was a part of a, I'm hearing some stuff, something blowing up somewhere. Okay, Amber Alert. Okay. Um, I was away uh, for some important meetings. I had to go to Indianapolis, and I was going to meet a little pastoral cohort there doing some important work that I feel called to in these days, and the coronavirus hit the cohort. And we got diverted uh, in the last 24 hours. I ended up having to fly to Kentucky, not Indianapolis, and it was kind of this weird thing. And then, But my family came up and met us uh, from down here, and we had Christmas in Kentucky, and it was... It was wonderful uh, to do that, to be with our, uh, our older daughter and her husband in their home. In fact, I have some pictures I want to show you. Here they are. This is there. I told, when I looked at the picture this morning, I was like, oh, I took it when Beth's eyes were closed. <laughs> and I had to warn her about that. But there we are in their little house in Kentucky. We were all together there. And while we were there, I got to be with my sons-in-law. I'll show you a picture of them. This is what my, my uh, daughters gave me two years ago for Christmas. They gave me these guys. <laughs> Right, uh, all in a year, and uh, and if you can't tell, this is um, this is no shave November, and so that's all of us uh, for Brandon and Eric. That was about two hours. I've been working on what I have there for about a month, <laughs> and so that's kind of bad. But I was schooling these boys in disc golf and showing them that dad ain't dead yet. So I just wanted to show you that. But anyhow, it's great to be together. And uh, so last week, uh, I need to clear something up. So Trevor was here. Trevor preached. He did a good message, but I got some feedback. There was some controversy. And because I am the lead pastor, I guess I have to address that. And so, you know, you guys know I mentor Trevor. And so every now and again, you know, he makes some mistakes and I have to straighten this up. And so apparently, I guess last week he opened a can of Coke and he drank a can of Coke on stage. We have this really weird moment. And uh, I just need to address, um, I got some feedback. Uh, I apologize for this. Everybody knows Pepsi tastes better than Coke. So come on now. Come on. Now, I want everybody to know, like, I am, I'm a third-generation Floridian. I'm a Southern guy. I know Coke stand, uh, comes from the South, but truth is truth, y'all. Pepsi's way better. <laughs> no, how many agree with me? Okay. That was, that was stilted the other way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. Anyhow, all right. All right, take your notes out. We're going to dive in together. We are in uh, week two of a series. We're calling this series Make Room. Say it with me, Make Room. And what we're doing in this series is we're talking about, here we are in the Advent season, and uh, we're talking about what it looks like to make room for Jesus 
uh, this year. Most certainly, I think we could use it. I, I want to say I've noticed something unique to this year. Of course, every single thing is unique to this year, right? I mean, this is the weirdest year ever. But um, I want to say that I've noticed so many of us got ready for Christmas early. How many of you would say you did it a little earlier this year? Yeah, a lot of us. And I need to be honest with you all. My personality, I'm a little scorched earth on this. Normally, I'm kind of like, you know, it's like against the law to start moving toward Christmas before Thanksgiving. You know, and like you go into stores, right? You go in, you go in in the 4th of July and they have the Thanksgiving stuff out, right? You know, you, you, it, I don't like that. And, and I've always kind of pushed against it. But this year, it's felt a little different, hadn't it? And it's almost has felt like a lot of us, we, we're just looking for places we can have some normalcy and have some stuff that sort of feels, you know, to, like normal. And so I have to say, I'm not as judgmental about it as normal. I'm a little judgmental, but not, not as much judgmental. But anyhow, there reminds me of the Christmas song, We Need a Little Christmas Right This Very Moment, and I think it's true. And uh, I always think that one of the, one of the times that as a biblical communicator, it's easiest to communicate is at Christmas time. Christmas time is a tremendous uh, opportunity and a, a tremendous moment for all of us to lean into the power and the wonder of what the season uh, is all about. And so I love to preach uh, in December, and um, that's always a great opportunity for us to stretch our faith and build deeper foundations. Now, many of you all know, uh, about two years ago, we accepted a rhythm. I, I went to our teaching team and I said, what I really want to do, because I want to help us understand and move through the scriptures better, at least this is my idea about this, I said, let's try to pick a theme verse that connects sort of with the whole idea that we're trying to communicate across the series. And so what we did, we started picking verses. And this year, for this series, we chose a verse, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This is our theme verse that we're kind of building the series around. And I want us to read this out loud together. Okay, so we're going to put it on the screen. We're going to read it. Let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. While they were there... The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, here's the thing. If you're taking notes, we're working with that phrase. There was no guest room available for him. And rather than look at that as just sort of a factual kind of idea uh, written into the the text of the Gospel of Luke about the night that Jesus was born, we're kind of looking at it in more of like a figurative way, more of a spiritual way, if you will. And, and we're looking at it from the standpoint and from the angle of what it means to all of us in our lives to make room for Christ. And so, uh, you know, every year we kind of light candles. This is sort of the rhythm. And if you were with us last week and you were able to hang in with Trevor after that horrible illustration about Coke, um, you know that he, he lit a candle uh, to commemorate the idea of preparing for the, for the coming of Christ. And uh, for those of you who are biblically minded and want to impress your friends later, Christmas is a time when we talk about what is referred to as the incarnation. And we're really getting across the idea that, that God broke into our world. Jesus came, God in human flesh, 
and broke into our world because he wants to be with his children. Someone should say amen to that. And so whenever we we think about uh, Christmas, we think about it, uh, sometimes you hear it referred to as the advent uh, of the Christ, the coming of the Christ child. And uh, so, so Trevor, when, when he uh, preached last week, actually did a great job. And he preached about confession, honestly. Like, what is the posture, really, that we should approach the Lord? And the posture that we come before the Lord is we come with, with open hearts, right? And, and we accept, we come with humility. Uh, we come, uh, you know, open to the idea that there is a God who is God and we are not. I was talking to a friend in our neighborhood this week, and uh, he has gone, he and his wife have gone through a lot. A few years back, they suffered the loss of their teenage son. And, and I was checking in with him a little about how, how he's coming along. And I know that December is always a time when that stuff is real. And, uh, you know, he was reflecting with me, and we were talking together, and, and he made a comment that I think is really interesting. He said, he said, if you want to make God laugh, tell God your plans. And I thought, man, that's, that's kind of true, right? And so we, we come with a posture of knowing that God is God and we're not. And so this morning what we're going to do, we're going to light another candle, and we're going to let this candle stand sort of uh, as a, a remembrance, if you will, of, of what it means to, to walk in his peace. And so I want to communicate that a little bit today. And it's always kind of interesting to think about when we talk about Christmas being a peaceful time, because a lot of times it's not really a peaceful time. Now, the jury is out uh, as to this year what it's really yet to feel like because so many of us are navigating unique and different plans because the year is so unique and different. And I talk to people all the time and they have loved ones who are trying to figure out if they're going to travel. And some have loved ones who said they will not travel. Some of us have told our loved ones not to travel and others have invited loved ones in. So we're all in this stuff trying to figure all this out. But, um, the idea behind peace is an interesting one because usually this is such a frenetic time of the year. I was reading recently by a Christian author, uh, from a Christian author by the name of John Eldridge. And John Eldridge made this observation. He said, it seems these days that our souls are bleary and seared and smeared. We're still able to love, yes. We're still able to dream and to hope, perhaps, But at the end of any given day, he said, most people come home in a state of exhaustion. We're numb on the good days and fried more often than we admit. Can I get an amen? He said, we're like Bilbo Baggins from J.R.R. Tolkien's novel, The Hobbit, when he observed and said, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. How many of you would say, I feel like that sometimes? I told my wife a couple weeks ago, I feel guilty. And she said, what do you feel, what do you feel guilty about? And I said, lately, the fa- my favorite part of the day is at the end of the evening when we agree it's time to go to bed. <laughs> and I said, what is that saying about us right now in our lives, you know? 
And so um, this morning, what I thought uh, I would do is I want to read a passage of Scripture, and I want to offer it to you some observation around it. And here's what I want to tell you. It's not normally thought of as a passage of Scripture at Christmas time, but it has deep meaning for us in this season. And so I want to read to you a, a, a story you may be familiar with. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it's, it's the story of, of Jesus coming to visit Mary and Martha in their home. And, and I think there's a message for us in this, especially even at this time of the year. So I'm reading from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Here's how Luke records it. He says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to all that he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that still had to be made. And she came to him and she said, and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried. You're upset about so many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I want to ask that you would give us an ability in these few moments together to hear a fresh word about the pace and the, and the mode of our lives right now. And that, God, that it, it might be truthfully prayed and spoken and lived, that in the midst of all of what we're surrounded with, we can still yet find our hope and our peace in you. Would you use these words to show us how? This we pray in the name of Christ, who is our Lord. And everyone said, amen. So let me tell you about this story. And for those of you who don't know, this this story, uh, most scholars believe these are the closest friends that Jesus had on the earth during his earthly ministry. And whenever he was in this region, most believe the Galilean region of his ministry, remember Jesus never traveled too far, uh, he would stay at the home of Mary and Martha. And you might remember that Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. And if you go to John chapter 11, you can learn in John chapter 11 about the death and resurrection story of Lazarus. It's an an interesting story. But scholars believe, really, that this was maybe the closest that Jesus ever came to during his three-year earthly ministry of having what would be referred to as a home. It was here. So it's a place of great comfort to him. And scholars also would tell us that because Martha was the older uh, of the two sisters, scholars think that Martha, it might have actually been Martha's house. And so Jesus comes to visit them, and this story unfolds. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is is maybe something that's only happened to me, but I I think probably it's happened to many of us. Any time I've ever heard this story preached, 
there is a, a dichotomy that is lifted up that creates, I believe, a misunderstanding around the story that is not really a part of the story and, and, and shouldn't be in our minds, but it is in our minds. And I want to I point it out because I think if we understand it better, I think it has really good meaning for us uh, in this season uh, uh, and in this year that, that's so crazy. And, and the, the, the dichotomy and the misunderstanding sort of sets it up like this. It, it, it's that Mary is often referred to as the spiritual one, and Martha is not. And so there's this false tension that is lifted up as though, you know, Mary is the, the deeply spiritual one. She spent all of her time praying and sitting at the Lord's feet, and Martha was the worldly or the carnal one, and she didn't care at all about spiritual things. Now, here's the problem with that. First of all, that's not true. Because if you go over to John chapter 11, you you learn actually Martha is a person of great faith. In fact, she's the one who, if I I remember it right, she's the one who first tells and reflects on Jesus being the Messiah in that resurrection story about Lazarus. So this is a woman of deep conviction and of deep faith. This is the place where Jesus always stayed. But again, we always get this story. And if we don't understand this right, here's what I think it does. It leads us toward a false idea and a false narrative that, that we either have to be one or the other. And if those of us who are a little more activistic about our lives, those of us who are a little more active and have a little more going on, we could look at Mary and go, she's too spiritual. I could never attain to that. And we step back from it and we feel guilty. Or we look at our own lives and we feel like, you know what, we can never measure up. In fact, I think there's a phrase in our culture that is kind of associated with a story. And have you ever heard it spoken or said of someone, that person, he or she, is too spiritually minded to be of any earthly good? You ever heard that phrase? This is where I think it kind of can come from. And so the question is this, really. When we start talking about making room for Jesus in our lives, is this what we're talking about? And here's what I want to tell you. I don't think so. In fact, I think, honestly, there's something actually more going on in this story, much more powerful, much more robust in a way that we could get our minds and our hearts around it in a very powerful way, and I want to point it out to you. In fact, it's sort of interesting, just even as a, as a tee-up to it, I was reading this week from theologian Craig Keener, and this listen to what he says, and this is really kind of a stepping off point. He says, really, this passage, to understand it right, challenges several false notions about faith and life and the connection between the two. He goes on and he says, first of all, there is the challenge of the role designations for women in the first century. Usually, a woman was just a homemaker and just, quote-unquote, a hostess. And Jesus is now elevating the role of disciple and even future minister into a shared space. Secondly, people normally would sit on chairs or or at banquets and reclined on couches during uh, formal events, but it was disciples customarily who would sit at the feet of their teachers. And serious disciples who would prepare by... uh, from their teachers by sitting and observing and watching and modeling and mentoring. 
a role not usually permitted to women. And Mary's posture and eagerness to absorb Jesus' teaching at the expense, listen, but though not the abandonment of more traditional roles here would have shocked Jewish men at the time. It probably shocked the disciples. But here was Jesus yet again shifting the traditional order of things and opening the doors for every single person who wants to get as close to the Lord as they can. So now here's the idea behind this. This is not a dichotomy. There's something more powerful going on. Really, this is a story. We're to understand it as a story of what Christian hospitality looks like and what it means to welcome Jesus into the very center of our lives. And for me, when I look at this story, I notice a couple things. I notice, first of all, that this story really challenges us, first of all, I think, to realize our tendency toward being distracted. How many of you would say, I have a tendency to get distracted? Like, not me, but like us together, right? Okay? Yeah, it's true. And we see it right here in this verse. It's in verse 40. Look at it. It says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. It's not saying that the preparations were bad. But she was distracted by so many of them. She came and she asked the Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. It's interesting. The word distracted in the original Greek language is the word perispato. It sounds like perspire. She was sweating it out. I mean, the Lord has showed up at her house. Here she is sweating it out. And Jesus is wanting to teach her sort of something different that is going on in this. I, I, I remember this in a very vivid way. Uh, years ago, I, I don't know if I've ever shared, I think I did share this story that when we first started in ministry, after I had served as an associate pastor for three years, I went to a very small church in, in the northern part of our state, a little town called Monticello, which is about 30 miles uh, east of uh, Tallahassee. And I was, uh, uh, quote unquote, the senior pastor of the church. Well, here's the fact of it. I was the only pastor at the church. <laughs> So like the senior pastor, and, and here's what my job consisted of, absolutely everything at the church. So like there are times I would mow, there are times I would pressure wash, there are times I would paint, I would fix the toilet, I would run the worship folders off, I would preach the sermons, sometimes I'd lead the worship, sometimes I, I, I would do the youth. I mean, I, did, I was like a one-man band. I, it was like me. And I can remember the very first Christmas that we had there um, was a time that it was just a really crazy time. It was a, a lot of stress. I was learning how to be a preacher. Some of you right now are going, you're still learning how to be a preacher. And, and, and I was trying to figure out how to do all this stuff. I was totally stressed out. And, uh, and, 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 and to make matters worse, it was one of those years, you guys, where Christmas Eve was on a Saturday and then church was on a Sunday. Okay? So, right, added stress, right? And I was a new dad. Uh, we had a baby in the house. I mean, all this stuff was going on. And I'll never forget, um, in, in, in an effort to kind of do things quick and to get all organized, I remember running off, we, we, we had all these worship folders, you know, these little bulletins. And every year uh, at Christmas, this church had a rhythm. They would, they would put uh, uh, poinsettias out. And you would give a poinsettia in honor or in memory of someone. How many of y'all remember that kind of a thing, right? And so uh, it was important, you know, people wanted to get the bulletins because, 
you would see the listing of your family, maybe loved ones, you know, that are no longer with you. And so all this stuff was going on. And uh, so it comes to Christmas Eve. I'm going to do these two services. My first time to do this all by myself. We had the bulletins run for Sunday. I was feeling like, man, perfect. We got it all organized and set up right. And, and, and a friend of mine, her name was Bobby Krebs. I'll never forget this. She came up to me uh, before the Christmas Eve service, and she said, I'm not going to be here tomorrow, and I want to get a, a bulletin, uh, tomorrow's bulletin, because it'll have all of the poinsettia stuff in there. So I gave her the bulletin, and, and I did the Christmas Eve service. And after the service, she came up to me, and she was, uh, y'all, she was terrified. And she said, we've got, a, we, we've got a problem. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she said, there's a problem in the bulletin. And I said, what's the problem in the bulletin? And, and, and she gave me the bulletin, and on the back of the bulletin, we would list our shut-ins, people who could not be in church. But, but, but I had made a typo, and instead of typing the word shut, yeah, you're, you're tracking with me. You get it. You get it. And, and she handed this to me. We're going to hand this to 200 people the next morning. This is, I'm not making this up. And so my wife and I went home, and thank the Lord, we had whiteout. And we spent all Christmas Eve typing, you know, like painting over the wrong letter, putting the right letter, and the next morning we gave the bulletins out. And as the Lord is my witness, we were preaching, I was preaching the message, and I'm watching my church I kid you not. Can you can you even can you believe that? And 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 here's what I want to tell you. It was it was a total product of my overactivity. And I learned some things as a young preacher that you can be overactive. And I, as the Lord is my witness, he invited me into a conversation about my overactivity. And he showed me a verse of Scripture. I want to read it to you today, right out of God's Word. And you can write this down in your notes. It's Psalm 39. And David is writing, and this is what the Lord showed me. And in Psalm 39, verse 4, this is how he writes it. He says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Remind me, Lord how fleeting my life actually is. You've made my days like a mere handbreadth, and the span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. We roam around like phantoms in vain rushing about, heaping up material things without ultimately knowing whose they will be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope, my only hope, is in you. See, I I think if we're really going to make room for Christ, God, by his Holy Spirit, is going to invite you into a conversation about your overactivity. 
And he and he and he's not labeling your activity bad as bad, but he says there's there's an end to it. In fact, when I was taking notes, when I was letting the Lord discipline me around that, I wrote some notes down, and I want to give them to you. I remember writing down around Psalm 39 that my overactivity can distort my perspective on life itself. I mean, David writes twice. He says, hey, Lord, remind me. I tend to forget. I mean, many of us are sitting here, you're listening online, you know what it is to be so active, you forget what your greater callings are. And you acquiesce who God is calling you to be to live at a level beneath your privilege. And we're all susceptible to that. What's the old hymn we sing around here sometimes? Lord, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're all susceptible to that. And I I took note that day when David says, remind me twice. I can forget. I I wrote down too that, that my overactivity can destroy God's image within me. One translation has David saying it this way. We are merely moving shadows. I remember a few years ago sharing with you the story of my covenant brother, Doug, who pastors in the central part of our state, and how when he was learning this rhythm as a younger pastor, he came home one evening and his daughter had drawn a picture of Christmas that didn't include him in it because he was never home. And so, you know, God wants to say some things about our overactivity. We have a proneness to get distracted. I, I wrote down, too, that, that my overactivity can divert my attention from where my real hope is found. David says, Oh, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. So this season, really what we're advocating people to do, and maybe you would write this down and join with us in this, we're, we're saying it this way. Don't try to find time. Instead, make some room. Don't find time. Make some room. I notice uh, what the Scripture says in verse 42 of Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells Martha, Martha, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary's chosen what is better, and it'll not be taken away from her. Here's what we're learning Mary made the right choice. And if you haven't figured it out yet, a lot of life is around our choices. And so this is really an important conversation. I I learned a long time ago, I'll just give you a little secret, because we're all learners, right? I'm a a fellow pilgrim on the way with you. I'm not speaking as one who's got it all figured out. But I would tell you this. I learned a long time ago that there are certain things in my life, there are certain uh, problems I can solve, so to speak. And God would call me to solve the problems I can. But I've also learned in life there are certain tensions that I manage, that I can't solve everything. 
And we're not ever going to put to bed, so to speak, our overactivity. It's a tension we're going to manage all of our lives. And what God is really looking for in this season, while we're talking about making room, it's not, you guys, that we would have this spiritual part of our lives off in the distance, off in the corner. We would check the box off on a few spiritual things, and then we get on with the rest of our lives. That is not the Christian experience. You know what the Christian experience is? Inviting Jesus by the power of his spirit into the very center of our lives and letting him help us manage the tension. Do that this Christmas. Do that this year in a pandemic and see the different place God will lead you. I I, I think in so many ways, in a way... It's like what happens whenever we receive communion. So will you go from this place filled with the knowledge of Jesus' love for you? And will you go from this place filled with that knowledge to be an expression of his love to every person you meet? Go in his peace and in his grace. We'll see you next weekend.